So if you have your Bibles, you can open them up to Ephesians. Uh, we're going to be in chapter 3 today. Um, and for those of you who are new with us, uh, we've been walking through the book of Ephesians, and we've kind of subtitled this sermon series, um, Jesus' Handbook for the Church. And the reason for that is uh, we really believe that Paul was not just writing a specific letter to a specific church, um, but what we see in the book of Ephesians is Paul's best thinking on what it actually looks like and means to be the church. And so um, we've just been continually, as we go through this unpacking, what are the implications for what Paul's writing for us as we think about what it looks like to be the church here uh, in the city of Victoria? So last week, Matt started us off in verse, uh, verse 1 of chapter 3. And Paul starts off chapter 3 by saying this, For this reason I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles. And then last week, what Matt unpacked was sort of the beginning of his thoughts on explaining the, the reality that he was imprisoned and it was actually beneficial to the people that he was writing to. And so we're going to continue that thought today. And, and what I want us to understand is that Paul actually... What he's going to unpack for us is that everything he is about to say is to help the church understand that because of what Jesus has done, because of who Jesus is, that even though he is imprisoned, it is actually a good thing. And so as we unpack that, we should continue to ask the question, how does this actually speak to us here as a church today? So I'm going to jump in right away to verse 7. It starts off by saying this. Paul says, I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace given me through the working of his power, although I am less than the least of all the Lord's people. This grace was given to me. So again, if you go back to uh, what we read last week, Paul says, I've been a prison for your uh, been created a prisoner for your sake then he says in verse 2 surely you have heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you so this week he says something about grace he says that it's actually a grace that he has been uh, appointed as a servant or another way to translate that word would be a minister of the gospel uh, and last week he said that it was a grace that he had received this revelation from Jesus if you're familiar with the story of, of Paul you know that uh, he was on the way to a city called Damascus where he was going to imprison followers of Jesus. And yet, on that trip, Jesus, in a miraculous way, meets him through a blinding light and reveals himself to him. And Paul says, like, this is an act of grace. But then, he goes on to say in verse 7 that his being appointed as a minister, as a servant of the gospel, so someone who's been given the task to be a missionary to the Gentiles, is also an act of grace. Now, I want to stop us here for a second, because I think most of us, if you're anything like me at least, when you kind of get told at a, in church gathering or setting, or you're reading your Bible, and you hear this calling to be like a missionary, to be a disciple maker, to share the gospel, I don't know if we always look at it as an act of grace. Like, I think sometimes it, it kind of feels like another box that we have to check. You know, like, I've got to read my Bible, probably should pray sometimes, make sure I'm giving money to the church, and maybe sometimes I should tell people about Jesus. Like, check, check, check. And, and it doesn't feel like a grace. It actually feels like a burden, I don't know if you can relate to that, but that's occasionally how that feels in my own heart, in my own life. And yet, what's so interesting here is that 
Paul says that it is actually a gift, an act of grace that he has been sent, given this responsibility to go and preach the gospel to the Gentiles. Why is that? You see, the word grace, one way to translate the word grace would be receiving something that you don't deserve. And Paul goes on to say in verse 8, he says, Although I am less than the least of the Lord's people, this grace was given to me. Why was Paul saying he was less than the least of the Lord's people? Was it just sort of this false sense of humility? You know, like he's going around saying, like, guys, I, I'm, I just have really low self-esteem. I'm, I'm just a darn right not good human being. I mean, if you've read anything else that Paul's written in the Bible, if you've read the stories written about him in the book of Acts, you know that Paul does not have a low self-esteem. Like, he's pretty confident in himself and his calling and his ability. So it's, it's not that. Is it just sort of some rhetorical technique in which he's, you know, trying to put the people at ease by being a little bit self-deprecating? You know, you see uh, preachers do that all the time, right? You know, we joke at our flaws, put everyone else at ease. But I, I don't think it's that either. I don't think Paul would use this term grace so benignly in this sense. What, what Paul is doing here is he's actually celebrating who Jesus has made him to be because he understands who he was before. Again, Paul's story reminds us like he was an enemy of God. Like Here's the guy who was so convinced of his own religious self-righteousness, of his own rightness, that he had actually positioned himself in opposition to Jesus, so much so that he was going around and arresting Jesus' followers, persecuting them. He held the coats of people who were stoning to death one of Jesus' followers. Paul deeply understood who he had been. Think about your kids for a second, those of you who have kids. If your kid does something that's completely off the rocker, do you then go and entrust them with a great deal of responsibility? I know I don't. I have a three-year-old. My, my two-year-old, I don't trust him with anything. Um, <laughs> he, uh, he will break it, I guarantee. Uh, but my three-year-old, you know, when she proves to us that she is untrustworthy, we do not trust her with something. And what Paul's saying here is he's saying, I have given no indication in my life before that Jesus should trust me. And yet, look at what he's done. He's entrusted me with this great responsibility to join him in his task of preaching the gospel. That is grace. Oh, there's Ben. <laughs> See, I told you, I don't trust him with anything. He can't even sit still in the gathering. <laughs> A few years ago, uh, I was working at a different church, and um, I don't I don't usually tell this story in this way. But essentially, what happened was um, I, through my own pride, made some a series of decisions on how I would interact with other staff members uh, in a way that was unkind and unloving, and I blew up a lot of bridges uh, for myself. And it ended up uh, kind of the church saying, "Hey, we need to part ways." and um, and I, for a long time, 
looks back at that and I blamed every other person. It was all their fault. They didn't get the vision. They didn't get the passion. They didn't love Jesus enough. And a, a couple years later, I was um, at a conference and I just started kind of hanging out here with West Village. Um, I'd been asked to step part, be part of a, a, t- a leadership team here. And I was in this conference and uh, the Holy Spirit just met me in this place. And, and he gave me this picture as, uh, as there was this time of uh, just worship through music, this picture of my life. And, and my life uh, just kind of looked like a, uh, you know, a person. But this person had this like black root system from it. And, and as I was kind of just experiencing this, like I understood what Jesus was saying to me was like everything that I have entrusted you with has been damage because you have this system of pride that takes the good things that I've given you and makes them about you. And here I was, this new uh, kind of role in this church that I hadn't been part of before, and I was starting the same patterns again, the same patterns of pride, same patterns of like self-righteousness, same patterns of trying to build my kingdom instead of Jesus' kingdom. And I couldn't, I couldn't believe that Jesus would actually let me have another chance. That he would once more entrust to me people to care for, to serve, to equip. I didn't deserve it. I hadn't earned it. In fact, I had done the opposite. I had shown him that I was untrustworthy. And as I was experiencing this, this song was playing in the background and the song is Lord I need you and the line that just spoke to my heart in that moment I think the spirit brought it to my heart was where sin runs deep my grace is more and Paul understood deeply that where sin ran deep in his past Jesus' grace was more for his present And that is how he could not just look at this calling to be a missionary to the Gentiles as some burden that he had to carry, but actually an act of grace, a gift that had been given to him by a loving father who wanted to invite Paul into the task that he had for him. And so church family, before we get into anything else, uh, the first thing I want to just ask us is, is, do you understand the grace of Jesus in your life? When we talk about being called to be a missionary here in the city of Victoria to make the gospel known, like all our West Village buzzwords, right? Making Jesus known, gospel saturation, all that stuff. It is an act of grace that we get invited into that. And if you're in a place right now where you're like, it doesn't feel like grace, then I just want to invite you, don't, don't pay attention to anything else I say. Okay? You have permission, like... Take a moment and just ask Jesus to reveal the grace that he has for you in your life to help you understand who you were before and who he's made you to be now. So Paul, he's going to continue on. And so again, he says, although I am less than the least of the Lord's people, this grace was given to me. He says, first of all, in verse 8, to preach to the Gentiles the boundless riches of Christ. Paul had a specific calling in his life. He had a particular people that he was called to, that he understood to be called to. Uh, Here at West Village, the the term that we would use to to describe this is proactive mission. 
Paul had a particular people that he was to orient his life around, to focus on, to pursue. And the beautiful thing, if you know again any of Paul's stories, you know that God, even though Paul was far from God, even though Paul was an enemy of God, even though Paul had positioned himself in opposition to Jesus, God knew the calling that he had for Paul. In fact, earlier in Ephesians, uh, Jesus actually says through Paul that we have been prepared from the beginning of the world to do good works, that God has actually been at work in your life preparing you for the things that he has called you to. And this is true of Paul's life. What do we know about Paul? Paul was well-educated in the larger Greek Hellenistic culture. When you look at Paul's letters, he can quote from their prophets, he can quote from their poets, he can quote from their sages, and he can go to places that other people can't go because he's a Roman citizen. He is well-positioned to be the apostle to the Gentiles, to be a minister to the Gentiles, because God had been at work preparing him for that task. Now, I want to just stop here for a second and just ask us, what is the task that Jesus has been preparing you for? Is there a particular place that you are uniquely equipped to reach? A particular network of people that you are part of, that you have been uniquely gifted with knowledge and understanding to be able to speak the gospel into? Is there a particular need that you have experience in in which you are being called to walk alongside others to bring the good news of Jesus to bear on their life? I'm not saying that everyone all the time has a laser-focused specific picture like Paul did. And so don't, don't hear that. If you're like, I don't know. I'm not trying to say you're a bad person or you're not following Jesus or anything like that. But I think so often we actually neglect to look at the ways that Jesus has uniquely made us and built us and start to look around and ask the question, how do you want to use those things for your good purposes where you have placed me? And proactive mission is just a way of recognizing that each of us has things that God has uniquely gifted us with in which he is calling us to use to make his glory known here in our city in a specific place, to reorient our lives around a specific people. A couple years ago, um, I was walking with a couple, Dave and Brianna, they were sitting here at the front, I don't know if they're there. Oh, Dave's over there. (laughs) I didn't ask permission to use the story, Dave, I'm sorry. You're getting getting the story anyway. I was walking with Dave and Brianna, and uh, they were just doing some leadership training. And uh, part of that is just asking them, is is there a particular place that Jesus might be calling you? And Dave's a, a nurse here at Vic General. And if you know anything about nurses, you know that they're kind of a unique people group, to be honest. My wife's a nurse, and she's like an odd nurse where she works like eight-hour days. But most nurses work these like crazy shift work where you're kind of flipping from days to nights, and you have this really dark sense of humor because you have to like be able to deal with the trauma that you're seeing all the time and deal with like cranky doctors and all that kind of stuff. And to be honest... There are so many nurses who are giving of themselves and yet they don't have the capacity to do that in the most healthy ways because they don't have Jesus. And Dave got to see that day after day after day and and he started to look at his own life and was like, man, I know what it's like. I know what they're going through, but I know what it's like to do that with Jesus. And so him and his wife, Brianna, they said, hey, you know what? We are uniquely placed and uniquely equipped with the knowledge to be able to reach nurses. 
And they looked around and they said, hey, there's other people in our church who have the same thing. And they called them together. And now they have a, a missional community, a community group that is intentionally building their life rhythms and seeking how to reach nurses because nurses need to know Jesus. Yeah. Some of you guys know uh, Gordo. Uh, Gordo uh, runs a uh, kind of a missional out, uh, outreach here out of our church called Broken Ministries. And it, I don't want to tell all of Gordo's story because I don't know it fully. But what I do know is that it is, um, it is, it's a story that's filled with a history of, of familial brokenness, of addiction, of recovery. And he had gone through this process and he met Jesus and just changed and transformed his life. And now Gordo and his wife, Julia, work downtown with the most marginalized people in our city, speaking the good news of Jesus into their hearts and into their lives. Why can he do that? Because he knows the way they think. He knows the way that they talk. He knows the challenges they go through. And he knows how good Jesus is and how Jesus can actually make a difference in their life. And I could tell you story after story. John Sater, who's at, working at UVic, like learning how to talk to, you know, postgraduate students about Jesus. Mark and Jesse Watkins, who live in military housing and know what it's like to be in a military family where your spouse might be at sea for nine months out of the year. Uh, these are people who are simply asking the question, how has Jesus uniquely um, equipped me? What are the things that he's uniquely given me? And how does he want to use those to make himself known in the places that I am? Paul understood this calling that Jesus had for him, and he pursued it. He oriented his life around it. It became what he was about. So I want to just invite us for a second to pause here, because if this is indeed Jesus' handbook for the church, then Paul's not just simply talking about his life. He's talking about every life of a Christian, how we work these things out. So let me ask us a series of questions. The first question I want to just ask us to consider is, who do you have unique insight or access to? If you're not sure who you're called, if you're not sure where to, uh, to, to bring your, your focus, if you're not sure how Jesus has uniquely equipped you or placed you, simply start by this. Who do you have unique access to? I could want to be on mission to nurses but you know what? I don't work at a hospital. I don't have daily access. I don't, I mean, my wife's a nurse, so I have a little bit more access than the average Joe, but I don't know that much about medical stuff. And the things I do know are mostly informed by The Resident, which is a TV show and probably not all that accurate. <laughs> Yet, I live in a neighborhood where people in the neighborhood live a lot like me. And I understand their, their worries, I understand their fears. At least at some level, I understand the things that they want for their houses and their communities. So I have actually been gifted and uniquely given insight into a particular people that I can potentially reach. So who are those people that you might have unique insight into? The second question that I want to invite us to ponder is... Where is there a need that you might be uniquely equipped to meet? 
We, we as a church, um, talk a lot about uh, adoption and foster care um, because we think it's really, really important. We think it, it reveals the heart of God who adopted us into his family. But I'll be honest, not everyone is called into that. And, and there are those in our church family who can uniquely reach that community because they are in it. They understand it. There are those who are uniquely equipped to reach teens because you get how teens are. There are those in our family who are uniquely equipped to reach people who are single. Who are uniquely equipped to reach people from other nationalities. Who are uniquely equipped to reach people in a particular space in our city or a particular subculture, a particular hobby or interest group that not all of us are equipped to reach. And yet if Jesus' heart for the world is that everyone might experience him, this picture of gospel saturation that we talk about, then he has equipped his church with everything it needs to reach every person in our city. And so what are the needs that maybe you have walked through? Maybe you've lost someone close to you. And there are those of us who haven't had that loss and and can't speak to people going through that crisis. And yet Jesus has actually allowed you to walk through that crisis with him so you can walk through it with someone else. Maybe you've gone through uh, marital separation or divorce and you've had to walk that journey. And Jesus is actually saying, I want to redeem that tragedy in your life and I want to use it for my good purposes so that others who are walking that journey We'll have someone who understands, who knows the right words to say or not to say, and who can point them to me. Maybe like Gordo, you have a history of of addiction. And yet Jesus has walked and brought you freedom in that. And now he's saying, hey, I, I want to use you to help someone else who's walking that journey right now. Come and see me. If you're not sure... If, if you're hearing all this and you're like, I don't, I don't even know where to start. Um, one of the, the things that we, we want to continue to do as, as equippers of our church family is just create spaces for you to listen to the Spirit and, and hear what He wants to say to you. And we have a few tools to do that. And so if this is something that you're like, I really want to dig into this more, come talk to me after. Uh, shoot me an email, andrew at westvillagechurch.com. Uh, we've developed something, it's just a simple tool called the Missionary Calling Lab, which is a little bit of a, a self-assessment piece where you kind of look at the ways that Jesus has uniquely made you as a human being, your personality, kind of your spiritual gift set. Uh, and you ask people in your life who know you well to kind of speak into this and take time to pray and see how Jesus has uniquely made you. And through that process, just continue to ask the Spirit, what has he given me that he wants to use for his purposes, for his glory, to make him known? And when Paul's talking about this, he doesn't just say that he's to preach to the Gentiles. He says the content of the preaching is the boundless riches of Christ. The boundless riches of Christ. Uh, okay, I'm just, I, just, I have to pause here for a second because if, if, if we don't understand that what we have to offer is incredible, then what we're going to give people is not going to be incredible. Okay. <laughs> I, I'm sorry, I'm just like, this, this one like gets me amped up, okay? 
When I was a, when I was a kid, I, I did like all this like evangelistic training, you know, how to share your faith. And it was not the boundless riches of Christ. It was like, you know, go up to someone and kind of use like the, you know, the surprise attack. Like, I'm going to pretend I'm doing a survey. You know, how was your week? Also, did you know you're going to hell? Like, this is not the boundless riches of Christ. Like Paul is saying, like when he encountered Jesus, it was so life transforming, so life altering, both now and for eternity, that he was excited to tell people about it. No one had to say like, hey man, you should probably do your evangelistic duty for the week and share Jesus with one person. He was like, I can't stop sharing about Jesus with people because I know what Jesus has done. His life given for me has opened up my life to the boundless riches that he has to offer. When Jesus came, he said, I came to bring life and bring it to the full. Can I get an amen? Amen. Amen. A couple years ago when I was youth pastoring, I got to work with this junior high school, this middle school, uh, in a part of the city that was um, was a lower income part of the city. And, you know, there's there's the the income side of it. But the income side of it was really uh, just a symptom of this deeper impoverishment. Like when Paul's talking about riches here, like he's not talking about monetary riches. He's talking about the fullness of Christ. Like God making all of creation and saying to Adam and Eve, you can have all of it. Like, like opening up the capacity that God has for human flourishing in our life for now and for eternity when we get to be with him and continue the task of co-ruling with him over the creation that he has made. And so I was in this school system, just uh, volunteering there, and I started to meet some of these kids. And what I recognized is that these kids were suffering a type of poverty, and it wasn't just financial poverty. They were suffering a deep, real, emotional, and relational impoverishment. Like cycle after cycle of familial breakdown, of poor decision-making, of people being more concentrated on their own selfish desires than laying down their lives to serve one another. And I watched in sadness... Because I saw that what was going to happen is that this cycle of familial breakdown, this this relational impoverishment that was going on in this community, it was just going to happen again and again and again. And yet I knew, I knew that if these kids met Jesus, that they were going to have access to boundless riches, the kind of boundless riches that were going to transform and tra- transform their trajectory from being a trajectory of a cycle of brokenness to being a trajectory of fullness. How do I know that? Because I've seen it. I've seen Jesus take people in our church family who have come from broken backgrounds and transform their hearts and taken them from cycles of selfishness and self-absorption or depression or whatever it is and change and transform them to make them full human beings. A couple of... um, a couple of uh, years ago, uh, another story, a couple of years ago, I was hanging out with some friends of ours, and, and they were similar to us in a lot of ways, and they were just going through a lot of relational tension. And they didn't, they didn't know Jesus, and we were trying to walk this out with them. But, you know, the interesting thing to me is, as I got to hang out with them and spend time with them, like, the things that they were going through were not really that different from, like, the things that Shannon and I go through. Like, their lives were not that much more jacked up than our lives. Like, we could have easily been where they were at. 
the only difference was that we had Jesus. And because we had Jesus, like our marriage was filled with boundless riches. Like church, when we get the boundless riches that Jesus has for us, how can we not tell people about that? How can we not say, look, your life is a mess. It's blowing up. But guess what? There's a God who loves you, who wants to transform you, who can take the broken parts of your life and redeem them for his good purposes. Like, is that not good news, church? Is that not something that we should be excited to give to a world out there? I know it is for me, but I forget it often. And I have to constantly be reminded that the gospel isn't just the sort of intellectual assent that I was a bad person, I just died for my sins, and now someday I'll get to be with God. No, the gospel is this incredible good news message that God in his grace, has pursued us. That yes, he has saved us from the penalty of sin. And yes, he will one day save us from the presence of sin. But today, he wants to save us from the power of sin. Both the power of the sin at work in our life and the power that sin has in bringing destruction in our society, in our culture. That is the boundless riches of Christ at work. And that is a message worth talking about with everyone. So listen, listen where those places are that God's called you and start to ask the question, what is the boundless riches of Christ that this person needs to experience? What is the good news that Jesus has for them that is going to utterly uproot and transform their life? Paul not only says that he's called to preach the boundless riches of Christ to the Gentiles, but then he goes on in verse 9 and says, and to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery, which for ages past was kept hidden in God. So not only does Paul recognize that he has a specific proactive calling that God's given him, but he also recognizes that even though he has a specific proactive calling, he has a responsibility everywhere, every time with every person that he meets to make plain the plan of God. So if we would call the first thing uh, Jesus' proactive mission for us, the second thing we would call is Jesus' reactive mission for us. What does that mean? Well, it means when David's at, uh, coming home from work and he's been hanging out with nurses all day, it doesn't mean that when he's sitting on the benches in his co-op that he doesn't have a responsibility to make Jesus known. It's not like, hey, I did my time, did my proactive thing, now I can rest and relax, we're good. No, what Paul's saying is no matter where I am, I want to make Jesus known. So when he's in a synagogue, hanging out with a bunch of Jewish people, what does he do? He's, he's talking about Jesus. When he's in Jerusalem, the city that's filled with Jewish people, what does he do? He talks about Jesus. He lives out a life that declares Jesus. And the reality is, is that all of us, all of us are called all the time to live in such a way that reveals Jesus to other people. But Paul not only tells us that this is the thing that he is doing, but he also tells us how he's doing it. He's making plain to everyone the administration of this mystery. What is a mystery? Well, he said in verse 6, the mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, 
members together of one body and sharers together in the promise of Christ Jesus. What's he talking about? He's saying, you know what the mystery is? Is that Jesus has built a church. He's taken people from all nations, Jews, Gentiles, and he's making them together into a new people. And guess what? You're invited. I like to remind people that Jesus doesn't just save us from something. He saves us to something. Like, when you come to know Jesus, it's not like, you know, me and Jesus riding into the sunset together. No, Jesus has adopted you into his family. You become part of his people. We get to live out together a picture of what Jesus' lordship, his rule and reign looks like. And Paul's saying that when the church lives out life as the church, it actually tells people about Jesus. So how do we reactively preach the gospel? One of the ways that we at least declare or demonstrate the gospel is by living out the life of the church together. Like when a group of people live out a Jesus life in the middle of a community that doesn't know Jesus, it actually should make people ask some questions. Just think about the last couple years, okay? So we, we go through this whole pandemic craziness and like the first couple months, like people are hoarding toilet paper and meat. I really hope no one tries to combine those two because that's gross. But um, what's so fantastic, one of the things that is crazy is like, there are people in the middle of all this, like, hey, we're going to hoard stuff who are actually saying, like, hey, who needs stuff that we can give away? And what's that doing? That's, 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 that's giving people a picture of what Jesus is like. When people cannot talk to each other because they hold different political ideologies, and a group of people says, hey, you know what? God has made us all different. And, you know, we have different ways of seeing the world. And yet the thing that unites us is Jesus. And we're going to come together and continue to worship him in unity because he is the one that actually matters the most more than anything else. And that's the thing. That's the person who's going to bring us together. Like, like that speaks volumes to a culture that is so divided right now. When the church says, hey, I've been gifted in particular ways, and so I want to use that in partnership with other people's gifts to make Jesus known in our city, like that, that's a huge contrast to a culture that says, hey, you have a gift, you should use it to capitalize on your own self-aggrandizement, your own self-satisfaction, your own self-fulfillment. Like, like that actually gives a picture of what Jesus is like. And when people start asking questions, because we're just living that way, wherever we live, work, serve, play, like we're living out this life of the church together. You know, when you're in your workplace and there's a couple of people who know Jesus together and, and they watch and see the way that you lack, act with each other, the way that you act with the people around you. And they say, hey, why are you doing that? Guess what you get to tell them? Oh, because I've experienced the boundless riches of Jesus. Like, I can give generously because I have been receiving far more generously. Like, that's an incredible reality. And this is what Paul is telling us, is that what we have to offer is not just something to believe, but also a place to belong. 
And as probably most of us know, most people don't believe until they belong. That's not always true, but oftentimes it is. The final thing that uh, Paul's going to say, just in terms of this calling for mission, he says in verse 10, His, meaning God's intent, was that now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms, according to His eternal purpose that He accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. Uh, what, What Paul's getting at here is he's saying, listen, when you pursue the grace that Jesus has entrusted to you, this calling to be a missionary, when you proactively look around and see the places that God's uniquely gifted you to, and you share Jesus with that, when you continue to live out your life as a church, like it's actually a means of spiritual warfare. Like It's actually a way that you are going to the spiritual powers and authorities, Satan and his minions, and saying, hey, guess what? You ain't winning. Like, Jesus got this. And I think sometimes, like, like the spiritual powers and authorities, like, they think they got Jesus. They, they think they've, they've kind of, like, figured him out. You know, Garden of Eden, right? God makes humans in his image and likeness and calls them to bring about his glory in all the earth. And what does Satan do? He comes and he tempts Eve, and Eve succumbs that temptation, her and Adam disobey God, and they're cast from God's presence. What's Paul saying? He's like, Mm-mm. part of God's plan. Like he had it in the bag. And God calls the people to himself through Abraham, and gives them his laws through Moses, and they're called to live out this picture of God's kingdom in the midst of the nations. And yet what do they do? They get tempted by powers and authorities to chase after idols, worship other gods, forget to follow Jesus. And the powers and authorities are thinking, ah, we got them now. They're in exile. Like, we got God. Uh Uh-uh. Part of his plan. Jesus comes. God himself comes in human flesh. And what happens? His own people put him to death. Powers and authorities, they think, for sure we got God right now. No, part of his plan. And then he takes this ragtag group of nobodies... And and he's saying, watch what happens when my spirit, through my grace, actually uses that ragtag group of nobodies, people who are ill-equipped, ill-prepared, unable to do the task that I'm calling them, and I use them for my kingdom. What does it do? It exposes God's wisdom and their foolishness. Like, we want to do some spiritual warfare? Paul's saying, you want to expose the powers and authorities to their destiny? Preach the gospel. Make known the boundless riches of Christ. Make known the administration of this mystery by being the church. And that will actually reveal to Satan how foolish he really is and how incredible God's wisdom is. Final thing that Paul says before transitioning, he says in verse 12, In him, meaning in Jesus Christ our Lord, in him, and through him, in him, uh, sorry, through faith in him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. I ask you, therefore, not to be discouraged because of my sufferings for you, which are your glory. I want to stop and pause us here, okay? 
I've been preaching at you a lot about doing. But what we have to remember, and what Paul is, is helping the church remember, is that our doing comes out of our being. And he gives a picture of what our being is. I'm going to read this again, uh, chapter uh, verse 12 again, but just from the ESV, because I think it does a little, bit, uh, a little bit better job of kind of the accurate translation here. So in the ESV, Paul writes, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. What's Paul saying? Saying, I can have boldness to do what Jesus has called me to do. Why? Because I have Jesus. I have full access to the Father through him. Through putting my faith in him. Through trusting that it's not me who does the work. It's him that has done and will do and is doing the work. A couple of weeks ago, we were looking at chapter 1. and the end of chapter 1, Paul prays that the church would know God. Guys, if everything I've just said, you know, about proactive, reactive mission, being the church, all that stuff, like, like if, if that's your takeaway and, and, and you don't feel this reality right here, that you have access to Jesus, like, don't. Just don't. Don't go out and try and do it because you won't be able to. Like, this is... This is the way that actually gives us the boldness. This is the motivation for which we actually understand the grace that we have. Like, this is where it all comes from. Knowing that we have access to the Father. Knowing that when I'm struggling to know what to say, I can go to Jesus and he can tell me. His spirit can speak through me. When I don't have the resources to help someone, that I can go to Jesus and know that he can handle it. To know that whatever need I have, like he is there saying, come on in. Talk, let's talk about it. I love you. I want to spend time with you. I want to know you. I died for you. I have made you clean, not by your work, but by mine. And so when Paul is concluding his thoughts and he's saying, I ask therefore not to be discouraged because of my sufferings for you, which is your glory. Like he, he wants the Ephesian church to know that like his sufferings, like it's okay. Why? Be, because he's with Jesus. Because he knows he can go to Jesus anytime. Like they can imprison him, but they, they can't imprison him away from Jesus. And, and because he's with Jesus, and because Jesus called him graciously to be part of his work. Like when he's in prison for the sake of preaching the gospel to these Gentile Christians, like it's actually for their glory so that they can come and know the riches that Jesus has for them. And church, when we get this, when we understand, and I'm speaking to my own heart, like I had to do some heart work this week in this because this is something I'm still working on. But when we get that we have free and open access to Jesus, like it's transformative. We can go into prison. We can suffer hurts and rejection, loneliness. And we can go out in boldness because we have Jesus. I'm going to invite the band to come up.
as I kind of close here. I want to finish off by just summarizing a little bit today. Like Paul, I believe that we too have been entrusted with a task that we don't deserve. We haven't earned it. It is a grace for us. And yet, like Paul, I believe that Jesus is at work preparing us for that task. And that he is giving you all that you need to pursue it. And yet, although we couldn't possibly accomplish it on our own, because we have Jesus, we can go forward boldly. Because number one, we know that Jesus is the one who actually does the work, not us. He did the work for us, and he's going to do the work through us. And number two, we know that Jesus' plan is the one that's actually going to get worked out. Like, he is greater than the powers and the authorities. So when we experience resistance, when we experience darkness, we know that Jesus has got us. And finally, we can go forward in that boldness because we know we have free access to Jesus whenever we need him. In fact, even when we don't feel like we need him, which is crazy, we always need him. I want to pray, and then we'll continue to worship together. Heavenly Father, um, I just want to ask that you would help us to understand the grace that you've given us here in the city of Victoria. That you have called each and every one of us to the task of making you known here in the city where there are so few people who actually know you. And yet, Father, as we look at our lives and recognize how ill-equipped we are, how much we don't know, we also understand that you are with us, that you don't just send us out on our own, but that you've gone with us through your spirit and that you can give us whatever we need for the task, that you've been preparing the way for us. And so we just ask for eyes to see and ears to hear. But most of all, Father, I just want to pray for our church family that we would continue to know that we have free access to you and that we would just abide in that reality. That whatever we do would come out of our relationship with you. I pray this in your name. Amen.